Have a good evening, everybody. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Okay, good. You're awake still. It's not 11 p.m. You have no excuse anymore whatsoever. Are you guys doing good? Feeling good? Did you get all of your gifts taken care of for tomorrow? Okay, good. You feeling broke? Yep. It's beginning to cost a lot like Christmas. One announcement really quick before we get underway tonight. Um, speaking of costs, speaking of money, speaking of feeling broke, my hope is that you will all feel broke after tonight because you're going to give all of your money to Ace in the City. Ace in the City is one of our partners. They are friends. We love them, and we are under the impression that they also love us. Here at the table, uh, we want to take seriously the incarnation, and so we don't want to just speak about words becoming flesh without also having something that we are doing become flesh as well. And so our friends at Ace in the City, they are starting up a new project called the Center of Belonging, which is going to be this collaborative space filled with resources for the community. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be empowering. It is very important. And so all of the money that's going to come in tonight uh, will be going to them. And so bring in your Benjamins, please. We have a box over there to the side, uh, which is a spot where if you're old-fashioned and you still carry cash, that is where you would deposit said cash. Otherwise, um, you can go to the website, thetablempls.com. There's a giving tab there, and we would love uh, for that to be the space through which you give. Sound good? I want to tell you a story. Um, a while back, I don't know if this is fully true or not, but on the outskirts of London, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson went for a camping trip. And in the middle of their trip, after having a bottle of wine and a heartfelt meal with some heartfelt conversations, they retired to their tents for the evening to catch some shut-eye. That didn't last very long, however, because Holmes woke up a few hours later and woke up his friend and said, Watson, look into the sky. Tell me what you see. Watson, he kind of shook himself asleep. He, he got his glasses on his face. He woke up and he said, well, I'll be. Those are millions and millions of stars. Holmes said, so what does that tell you? Well, astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and, and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, it tells me that Saturn is in Leo. Theologically, it tells me that God is great and that we are small. Horologically, it tells me that it's about 3 a.m. and I should not be awake right now. And meteorologically, it tells me that it's going to be a beautiful day tomorrow. But go on, tell me, what do you see when you look up in those stars? And Holmes looks over at his friends and he says, well, you know, I could be wrong, but, I mean, hold on. I could be wrong, but... I'm pretty sure that somebody stole our tent. <laughs> Thank you. Merry Christmas. That's all I got. <laughs> Drive safe, everybody. Oh, gosh. With the angels who sing in the sky and the magi who chase down a star, with the pregnant teenage girl who defies logic and follows love, and the fiancé who is terrified but he's trying to play the role of dad, it can be so easy to get lost staring at the Christmas stars, that we don't even recognize that we are missing the Christmas story. It can be so easy to sing all of these songs that we just sang and, and actually come to believe that we understand the words that we are singing. It can be so easy to be fixated on the Christmas props and miss the point. 
miss the big picture. It all can happen so easily. And so unless we say that the tent has been taken, that there's a bigger story beyond the stars that you are staring at, we're going to miss it. And let's not do that tonight. I want to believe that there is a better way forward where we can, in this brief moment together, get a wide screenshot of what Christmas is all about. I want to show you tonight not just um, the who's of Christmas, but I also want to show you the when of Christmas. Now, you're skeptical, and I understand that. This is obviously not conclusive, but scholars are coming up with something that is compelling, and I think you need to see it. Sound good? You in? Of course you are. Luke 2, 6 through 8. The Christmas story reads like so. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she, that is Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, is it fair to say that regardless of your religious affiliation or lack thereof, if you stood in any American city and read this text in the streets, by and large, the people who were around you would know that this is a Christmas text. They could smell the Christmas carol inside of it, and then they would probably just move on with the rest of their days. We have become so familiar with this story that we're unfamiliar with what is actually being said. Case in point is the fact that Luke just said something pretty profound, and, and you guys didn't even really flinch. You were kind of just like, man, let's get to the silent night. I got gifts to wrap up. Wrap it up, preacher boy. Let's go. Keep on moving. Luke didn't just tell us another thing about who was in the story. Luke, believe it or not, tells us about the when of the story. And it's an important detail. Because when Luke writes in his text that there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, that's actually really important because most of the year they weren't. Most of the year the shepherds were not in the fields. Most of the year the shepherds were in a famine. Most of the year, the shepherds were not nearby. The shepherds were in the Negev. In fact, almost every week of every year, the shepherds were out of sight and out of mind, wandering through the desert hills, exhaustively trying to find their sheep's next meal. But then came this one week when they left the Negev and they came nearby. For one week of the year, shepherds would lead their sheep into the crop fields near Jerusalem where they would feast like kings and queens. For one week of the year, shepherds would go into these fields and they'd be given the green light by farmers to do so. Now, if you tried to do this at any other point in the year, that sheep that wandered onto the field probably would not wander off. And that shepherd would probably walk with a limp the rest of his days. But for one week of the year, they could come into the field. There was this ancient dance of sorts that was being done, an original quid pro quo, if you will, where the farmers agreed that the shepherds and their sheep can come onto the field and feast for the week as long as in return the animals fertilize the soil for the upcoming season. So after spending the year in the desert, after spending the year in the Negev, looking for meal to meal from small patch of grass to small patch of grass, here the shepherds can come into the fields where they no longer have to work the sheep, they can actually just keep watch over the sheep for one week. At any other point in the year, they weren't there. But for one week, they were. 
this is the week that happens at the end of September and the beginning of October, at the end of the harvest and at the end of the high holy days. This is the week that we know as Sukkot, the Jewish festival, the festival of, of the tabernacles, of the booths. For one week of the year, the shepherd would come in for this festival, rest their toes, set their feet down, build a tent, drink some eggnog, and just watch over the sheep. And when the shepherd was watching the sheep, it's not just the sheep that they would have seen. Because Sukkot was a party. Bethlehem would have had so many people that were coming in for the party that some of the outer towners, when they arrived, would have to find out that there would not be enough room for them to stay there. Sukkot was a party that was seven days long. A seven-day party that was filled with joy. In fact, first century rabbis, when they spoke about Sukkot, they actually would call it a season of joy. And not just for the Jewish people. This is a festival that was for all of the people. For seven days straight, they had 70 offerings that were given up for all 70 nations of the world as a blessing for rain and good crops and fertile soil and good fortune to come the way of not just Israel, but every nation in the world. When the people would bring out their Gentile friends to this party, being that it was the only festival in which Gentiles were encouraged to participate, they would go into the streets and they would say on the streets what the shepherds first hear in the sky. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people. Sukkot. While the Passover is known as the celebration of freedom and Shavuot is the celebration of when the Torah was given, Sukkot was about not a past event but our present experience, not what you don't have or where you weren't at, but what you do have and what you need to hold. Sukkot was the invitation to come into all that is here and to do so with joy. Life is not a grind, life is a gift. Life is not to be endured, life is to be enjoyed. Not only was this thematic of the, of the week of Sukkot, but it also was a commandment. You had to have joy, which is obviously lovely but mildly complicated because at least for me, maybe I'm projecting it has happened before. But if somebody tells me that I need to have joy, if you try to tell me that I need to be happy, that is the fastest way to get me to be so far from happy. That's not how it works. And so when I read about this festival and I think about these shepherds and I think about the people who are overflowing the town, the question comes to me, if I have to have joy and I'm trying to be faithful to that commandment, how do I go about doing that? I don't have a switch that I can so easily flip. What do I have to do to be faithful to the command of having joy? Again, the angels have a word for this. You go and you lie in a manger. In Sukkot. For 2,000 years strong now, on the first day of a seven-day feast, you would build a sukkah, which is singular for the plural sukkot, which is a Hebrew word that can mean booth, it can mean tabernacle, it can mean stable, or it could mean manger. To build a sukkah, you didn't draft up an elaborate blueprint. Literally, you had to grab whatever materials were on the ground around you. Had to be impermanent, grass, sticks, whatever you could find to build your walls. And when it comes to the walls, the commandment was you can have three walls and no more. 
when it comes to the roof, it can be on top of your head, but at all times you have to at least have three stars that are constantly visible. And then once that sukkah was built, you would have to stay in there for all seven days. When they made these things, they looked like this or uh, like that, like this, or even like that. Once the manger, the stable, the sukkah was built, the people would move in there, they would have their feasts in there, they would be together in there, backs on their soil, eyes to the stars with nothing, just the elements. That is the answer to how did they have joy and that is absurd. Because there's, that does not sound fun to me. That sounds absolutely miserable. As somebody who personally breaks out in hives whenever I leave an air-conditioned room or, God forbid, leave a Wi-Fi coverage, like this is the least likely path that I at least would pave in my pursuit of joy. This doesn't make sense to me. Because if you go inside of a hut like this, if you go inside of a space like that that has three walls, not four, and you have to feel the cold wind on your face, or what about when it rains and that water comes down on you, or what about there being no door, no security, and so the creeps in the streets and there's going to be mice that are getting into your sheets, this is not good, this is not fun, there's nothing great about the great outdoors, I don't get it, this doesn't make sense to me, there is nothing in this reality right here that can actually keep you protected from all that is here. Which is maybe the whole point of it after all. Because when you do lie on your back, and when you don't have a ceiling over your head, when you feel the cold wind on your skin without a wall to keep you warm, when all you can do is stay in the stable and stare at those stars, this shelter that cannot keep you safe, exposes the lie of every other shelter that tells you that it can. Because they can't. There are no buildings made of wood nor stone that can keep the outside outside. Uh, there are not enough locks in the world, walls at our borders, diets in our bodies, and weapons for our arms that can promise you that it will keep all of the pain away and that it will keep all that's yours as actually yours. Everything that we have won't always be here. And all year round we can feel that in our bones. But during this one week we stop and we face it in Sukkot. We crawl into the stable. We lay on the soil. We stare at the stars and we recognize the reality that we would prefer to reject. The, the truth that everything we have won't always be here. That jobs come and go and friends and feelings do too. That new babies are born and grandparents are buried. That waistlines expand and hairlines recede. Can I get an amen? Thank you. Everything we have won't always be here. But there is something that happens when we are here with all that we have. And that something is what I would call Christmas. Because in the middle of the winter, when the light feels all but gone and your dreams feel all but drained, in the middle of that season of your story when you cannot sprint because you feel so stuck, in the middle of that space where it feels like God, is nowhere. 
Here comes Sukkot, inviting you to the abundance of the fields and giving you some space so that you can see that God is now here. Giving you the question, will you be with God the way that God is now with you? We would see that this is so if we would do that. If we would crawl into the manger. If we would lie in the sukkah. Because when we're in there, and when the soil is on our skin, and the wind is on our face, and the television is turned off, and the phone is in our pocket, and we're stripped down to the bare necessities, and we recognize that all these people we have been taken for granted, these people that we pass by as if they're just objects in our life, they are, wow, your gift, you're here. I want to be here too. When we go into that suko, we stop reaching for some hypothetical life that is out there and we start receiving the life that is actually here. We stop praying for a God who will someday come and we start participating in life with the God who already came. The one who crawls into all of our huts and says, this is where I would like to make a home. Jesus himself says that he knocks on the doors and we are so busy cleaning up our houses, getting rid of all of the messes. There are groceries to get, addictions to quit, diapers that need to be changed, Vikings quarterbacks that need to be, all of it. Like all of these things that we have going on our lives. And we hear that knock and we say, I don't think that you want to come in here. It's a hot mess right now. And God says, yeah, I know, but I'm Emmanuel. Not with the clean, not with the perfect, not with the palace. I am God with the people. Can I come into your hut and make a home with you in there? Can we go into our hut and fully be here? Every time we say yes, Christmas comes. And so when we wake up tomorrow morning, when we go, bed, go to bed tonight, when we're in these mundane moments, savor it. Because everything we have won't always be here. So let's be here with all that we have. God is with us in our here's, in our now's, in this moment. May we have the courage to slow down and be there too. Pray with me. Jesus, you are good. Jesus, you are faithful. Jesus, you are here. Help us to be here too. Christ, we celebrate your birth. We think about the hour when you came and we look for the times where you are still here, inviting us now to come too. And so we come. Give us courage to slow down. Give us eyes to see how good it all is. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, we, we thank you, Jesus. And all God's children, we say together, amen. One of the things I love about sharing and communion every week together is it is a moment when uh, we're reminded that God is with us and, and it is a moment where I think we are fully present 
to the moment, when we're fully present to God. And I was thinking about that a lot tonight. Um, A couple of years ago, my younger sister Leslie died, and one of our traditions was that we would meet her and her husband Troy and her son Riley at the table service every Christmas Eve. And um, they're from Colorado, and uh, one of the most beautiful things that we got to do together is as sisters, we would always serve communion together on Christmas Eve. It was always such a beautiful moment um, with a beautiful person who taught me in the last years of her life what it meant to be present to what's right in front of you. Because that is our truth, that we have this moment We have this moment together, and what a beautiful moment when we can remember that God came to earth as a baby Jesus, God with us. The word became flesh. And when we gather every week, when we gather on this particular evening, we remember just that when we take part in communion. God with us. On the night before Jesus died, He took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. And he took the cup and he poured wine into the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. And when we take the bread and we dip it into the cup, we remember God with us. We remember God's great love for us love that we know best in Jesus. So we invite you during the music to come forward and take the bread and dip it into the cup. Gluten-free elements will be right here and regular elements on the side. And as you do that, together we embrace what we have right here, right now in this moment. So please stand as together We pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thy is kingdom, the power, 